moving right along to torts. We are still talking about proximate cause, at least initially, and then uh, soon we're going to be getting into duty and when do we hold people accountable for feeling to live up to a duty or when do people have a duty. Anyways, we're still talking about proximate cause. We're still talking about intervening cause, and we have one last case on intervening cause, and this is going to be about the rescue doctrine. So this is McCoy versus American Suzuki Motor Corp. What happened in this case is that McCoy, uh, he was following a vehicle, and this vehicle lost control, spun off the road, and McCoy pulled over and helped him out. One thing to note, McCoy did not have to pull over and help him out. Yes, he should, so it's moral duty, but no, he does not have a legal duty to pull over and help them out. So he did, did this of his own accord. He gets out, he helps them. Make sure that they're okay. Presumably calls 911. Uh, state trooper pulls up and state trooper asks him to start directing traffic. Uh, he says, here, take these flares. Set them up around here so that cars don't hurt this area by any means. So McCoy, he's doing that. And he's like, oh, these flares are kind of close. I don't like how close these are. So he takes the flares and he walks up about a quarter mile up the road. Uh, pretty dangerous, and he's got a flare in each hand, and he's directing traffic. I mean, he's he's doing a good job. He's uh, making sure that everything is safe, putting himself in a dangerous situation because of the dangerous situation that had arisen, all to help this person out. Well, help arrives. They clear out the victim of in the car accident, and... Everything's resolved after a couple of hours. And so he starts walking back into the police officer, into the state trooper. And as he's walking back, he gets close enough. He's got a flare hanging by his side on the road. And before he gets to the officer, he sees the officer. He's about to say something. And then the officer all of a sudden jumps aside and he, he, the officer didn't say anything, and McCoy gets hit by a car from behind. And the car did a hit and run. Hits him, goes off. Who should be liable? Well, McCoy sued several people. He sued the driver of the car that, caught, uh, that was in the accident. He sued the passenger of the car because the passenger grabbed the steering wheel. He sued the estate because of the police officer's actions and not telling him what was happening and then he sued Suzuki well the driver and the passenger for some reason I can't remember why they they were no longer defendants at this point the state had immunity so they weren't defendants at this point and so all we're left is with American Suzuki Corp so how do we hold them liable well what risks are we trying to avoid what's the arguments that Suzuki might make, and what's the arguments that McCoy might make? These are all questions that we need to ask. And this all deals with the rescue doctrine. One thing to note before we're getting any further is that a rescuer is seen much more valuable to the courts than a volunteer. If you're a mere volunteer at the court, that's not a very good thing for you because at that point you don't have as much protection. So, 
Was McCoy a rescuer? Or rather, what's the rescue doctrine allow? Well, the rescue doctrine allows the plaintiff to sue the person who caused the need for the rescue. And why is that? Well, it's because accidents or negligence, so to speak, causes danger. And danger requires rescue. And so because that danger invites the rescue, if we can hold the company liable for the negligence, well, then we can also hold the company liable for any injuries that happens to a rescuer because they, in essence, cause the injury to the rescuer. And the reason for this is because it is foreseeable that if you cause a dangerous situation, someone is going to come in to the rescue. So what are the requirements for the rescuer? Well, there's four requirements. The first is that the defendant needs to be negligent to the person who was rescued, which causes an image of peril. In this case, Suzuki could be negligent, car manufacturer issues, which cause an accident, and that's the image of peril. Two, the appearance of peril was imminent, meaning it could be seen that someone could run them over. Third, a reasonable, a reasonably prudent person would have concluded that a existence of peril, appearance of peril existed. And fourth, the rescuer acted with reasonable care. Those four things need to be met for a person to be considered a rescuer. Here, he had met all those requirements. There was an appearance of peril. Uh, he had pulled over, he had begun to help, and he had acted with reasonable care, all things considered, depending on the circumstances. But how long does the rescue effort stay attached to the negligence of the defendant? Is it when the person opens his car door? Is it when he's back in his car? Is it when he's driving again? When... Uh, when does his rescuer status disappear? This is actually, and so quite often his status is going to disappear when the risks that were created by the danger have been resolved. And he's at that point then acting on his own. One last thing to note with rescuers is that when a rescuer acts innocently but causes further in injury to the plaintiff, well, to the victim, well, then the rescuer is not an intervening cause from the victim for suing the person who caused the injury. Same thing when a rescuer might act negligently. However, when we get to reckless, then there are questions of whether or not the rescuer is seen as a supervening cause instead of just an intervening cause. And that's the rescue doctrine. Just summing it up, requirements for a rescuer is that the defendant was negligent, created an image of peril, the appearance of peril was imminent, a reasonably prudent person would have concluded that the appearance of peril existed, and fourth, the rescuer acted with reasonable care. The reason why we hold a defendant liable for damages caused to a rescuer 
is because danger invites rescue. In other words, rescue is foreseeable. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.